0: Our text today is in 2 Kings chapter 13. 2 Kings chapter number 13 for our text this morning. 2 Kings chapter number 13. When I was a very young boy, before I could read or write, my parents took me to a Wednesday night prayer meeting. And just down the road from the church, we attended the little old lady named Grandma Grimes. She lived in a small apartment in the back of an old house and she had a piano and she played songs so we could sing. And she played this song that I really didn't understand, but I sure did love to sing it. And there were words in that song that I never heard before. And so I listened and I sang along as best I could. And what I heard in my ear was when the roll is called the Beyonder. Now, the only rolls I knew about were the ones Mom made in a pan for dinner. All right? And I didn't have any idea what a Beyonder was. But I sang with all my heart, when the roll is called a Beyonder. Well, when I got to school... Teachers would read a list of names, and everyone in the class, and we would answer here, and we would, an- and that's what I learned was a roll call. So I finally learned what that was, and I finally learned that heaven was called up yonder sometimes, and I understood the song and what it meant when I sang when the roll is called up yonder. And so there are things in life we don't understand because we're young a lack of experience leaves us with a lack of understanding i remember when my kids were young they loved to swim in the pond and after they saw the very first baptism on our pond i remember the next day they went swimming like they did every other day but that day they were dunking each other under the water (laughs) having a great deal of fun and as one of them shoved the under, under under the water. They would say, I baptize you in the name of the law. <laughs> they were young and didn't quite grasp it all. But they copied what they would seen and said the words they remember. I baptize you in the name of the law. <laughs> Youth and lack of experience sometimes can't quite grasp the meaning of all the words that it hears. I remember when Levi was young, he loved to eat cheese. And his grandmother had a name for him. She called him the Cheese Hound because he ate all the cheese whenever he went to her house. And he loved cheese so much. Well, one day he heard a song, and, and he sang it just like he heard it. I remember him singing, bringing in the cheese, bringing in the cheese. We shall come rejoicing, bringing in the cheese. Well, that made sense to him. You know, that's what he liked. He had no idea what a sheave was, but he knew what cheese was. So he just sang it out loudly. We shall come rejoicing, bringing in the cheese. So youth and inexperience, sometimes have a hard time grasping spiritual truth. Passing of time and greater experience are needed to comprehend some spiritual truths. In our text today, we see a very young man and a very old man. And the very old man tries desperately to communicate to the young and inexperienced man about spiritual things. The old man is very disappointed in the young man's failure to grasp the truth. So let's read this very unusual story. See what God has for us in it as we read it this morning. (coughs) 2 Kings chapter 13. I begin reading at the 14th verse. Now Elisha was fallen sick of the sickness whereof he died. And Joash, the king of Israel, came down unto him, wept over his face, and said, O oh, my father, my father, the chariot of Israel and the horsemen thereof. Now we know that there was a pair of famous prophets who spoke the word of, a Lord, of the Lord to a hostile audience. The northern kingdom of Israel never had a godly and a good king. Now, the first of those two prophets, Elijah, had come in to an infamous king named Ahab. And when Ahab refused to listen, Elijah had a great contest with 400 prophets of Baal. And Elijah called down fire from heaven and proved that God was God indeed, and Baal was a fraud. There was a young man named Elisha who became a servant to Elijah. And one day as those two prophets were walking down the road, a chariot of fire came down from heaven, scooped up Elijah, and took him straight up to heaven. And as Elijah rode that fiery chariot up to heaven, Elisha, the young man, cried out, Oh, my father, my father, the chariot of Israel and the the horsemen thereof. So Elisha... Became the prophet that took Elijah's place. And there never was a kinder, gentler man than Elisha the prophet. But now many years have gone by. Elisha is now 90 years old. And he is sick of the disease that will take his life. But on his deathbed... He gets a visitor. After years and years of ignoring the prophets, finally this very young king named Joash comes to Elisha's deathbed, And he enters the room. He weeps and cries over Elisha. And he repeats the very word that Elisha had said years before when he saw Elijah ride up to heaven in a chariot. Oh, my father, my father, the chariot of Israel and the horsemen thereof. Now, when Elisha said those words, he was saying, Elijah, look, you've been a great warrior for God, and now you've gone to your reward. Boy, that was a spectacular scene indeed, to watch Elijah ride in a fiery, fiery chariot up to heaven. But now old and diseased, 90 years old, Elisha comes to the end of his days, wasting away in his bed. Not a spectacular exit, but just an old man dying. But in the young king's eyes, he sees Elisha as God's warrior. And in fear... He weeps and cries. What are we going to do? Elisha's leaving. He's going to die. God's warrior is making an exit. What are we ever going to do? Now this is really puzzling. It's hard to understand why the young king is crying and saying these words over Elisha on his deathbed. And here's why. Verse 10. In the seventh year of Joash, king of Judah, began Jehoash, son of Jehoaz, to reign over Israel in Samaria and reign 16 years. He did that which was evil in the sight of the Lord. He departed not from all the sins of Jeroboam, the son of Nebat, who made Israel to sin, but he walked therein. It gets a little confusing because Uh, there is a king in the southern kingdom of Judah with the same name called Joash so to distinguish him the northern king here in this verse is called Jehoash but Jehoash and Joash are the same person and the man weeping over Elisha is this Joash the record of this weeping king is that he did evil in the sight of the Lord he worshipped Baal just like the father and grandfathers before him and he allowed his people to worship Baal and the question is <coughs> if this Joash worships Baal and does evil in the sight of the Lord why is he crying over Elisha Elisha 90 years old those northern kings have ignored him for years and years So why suddenly on his deathbed does his young king come and weep over Elisha? Apparently the young king seems to feel that Elisha is the last hope of Israel and if he dies, Israel will die with him. Now, if you grew up in a household that ignored God and you also ignored God, And suddenly a crisis comes into your life. And somewhere down deep inside of you, you begin to sense that this God, whom you have ignored, is your only hope. Your only way of escape. And having ignored God... The fact of the matter is you just don't know much about God at all. There's a lack of understanding. A lack of experience has left you uninformed about God. But the crisis is so extreme that you must find somebody to help. And so you go to the only man you know who seems to have knowledge of God. The dying Elijah. Now what was this crisis? What was it that drove King Joash to Elisha's deathbed? Well, it started with the young king's father. First, we have his record back in verse 2 of chapter 13. He did that was evil in the sight of the Lord and followed the sins of Jeroboam, the son of Nebat, which made Israel to sin, and he departed not therefrom. And the anger of the Lord was kindled against Israel and delivered them to the hand of Hazael, king of Syria, the hand of Ben-Hadad, the son of Hazael, all their days. So he worships his father, worships Baal. So God allows the neighboring king of the Syrians to raid Israel. Now it's not just a little raid. Every once in a while, he seized whole cities. He took over major block of territory from Israel, but he didn't stop there. Verse seven: Neither did he leave any of the people that Jehovah has, but fifty horsemen, ten chariots, and ten thousand footmen. For the king of Syria destroyed them and made them like the dust of threshing. The king of Syria not only stole property, he decimated the armies of Israel until all they had left was ten chariots. Chariots were the mark of the power of an army. If you've only got ten, you can't go to battle. Ten chariots is hardly enough to have a parade, let alone go to war. So because of his father's failure, this young king has no army, no way to fight Syria. And in the last effort, he cries at Elisha's deathbed. I don't know what to do if you die. You, Elisha, are the last great soldier. If you die, we'll be crushed by the powerful king of Syria. Now, for some reason, lying in the corner of Elijah's bedroom, there's a set of bow and arrows. Probably, God told Elijah ahead of time what was going to happen, so Elijah was prepared. Let's see what happens, verse 15. Elijah said to him, take bow and arrows. And he took unto him bow and arrows. He said to the king of Israel, put thy hand on the bow. He put his hand on it. And Elisha put his hand upon the king's hand. He said, open the window eastward. And he opened it. And said, Elisha, shoot! And he shot. And he said, the arrow of the Lord's deliverance, the arrow of deliverance from Syria, for thou shalt smite the Syrians in Aphek till thou hast consumed them. So old Elijah says to the young king, stop crying. Pick up that bow and arrow over there. Now you've seen a bow with arrows attached to the bow. So he picks up the set. And old Elijah slides his feet over the side of his bed. He said, bring it over here. And the young king walks over to Elijah with a bow. And old Elijah uh, reaches out. And grabs both of the king's hands. And then he says, Open that east window towards Syria. He opens the window. Now shoot an arrow out the window. And the young king loads the arrow on the bow, draws back, shoots the arrow right out the window. Now Elijah gets all excited. He said, That's it. That's what we wanted. That's the arrow of God's deliverance. God will deliver Syria into your hands. You will win the battle against Syria. And the young king sort of looks bewildered. And he's wondering, what just happened? <laughs> I came here because I got no army. And I got no hope. And me shooting an arrow out the window didn't change that. So now what? He stands there bewildered looking at Elisha. He just can't comprehend what he's doing. And Elijah goes on. Verse 18. He said, take the arrows. And he took them. And he said to the king of Israel, smite upon the ground. And he smote thrice and stayed. The man of God was wroth with him. and said, Thou should smitten five or six times. Then hast thou smitten Syria till thou consumed it. Whereas now thou shalt smite Syria but thrice. Apparently, what Elisha says next is, Now shoot the arrows out the window into the ground. And so he shoots. First one. And another one, and third one, down into the ground. And he lays the bow down. He's still thinking, "I got no army. I got ten chariots. I can't fight." And old Elisha looks at the young man, and he says, "Why, why, why, why didn't you shoot all the arrows?" Every arrow was to be a victory over Syria. And all you shot were three arrows? You could have shot five or six arrows and destroyed the whole country of Syria. The old prophet flops back over in his bed, angry. Now this strange encounter between the young king And the old prophet Elisha is full of meaning. The problem is that the young king has ignored God for so long, he just can't grasp the meaning of the thing. It doesn't even occur to him that God can help him. He never has prayed to God before. He only ever prayed to Baal. So he doesn't know how it works. God is someone we can pray to, and we can talk to, and we can ask for help. The young king has never prayed to God, never believed that God could help. And when Elijah gets all excited, and he says, this is the era of God's deliverance. The young king can't see how God can deliver when all he's got is ten chariots. He just doesn't believe that God can do anything. My friends, ignoring God will make you weak. Ignoring God will make you unbelieving. Ignoring God makes you unaware of God's methods and God's ways and God's power. And in life's crises, ignoring God will leave you unarmed and unprepared. And people think some man of God will probably help me. I'll just ask one of God's men to help me. And you end up all bewildered because you just don't understand God. You don't really think that God can help you. My friends, ignoring God is a terrible price to pay. So, what did happen there in that old prophet's bedroom? The young king came because he believed he was defeated, therefore, he had no hope. And Elisha says to him, You got to pick up the weapon. Pick him up the weapon. The apostle Paul. Said, take the whole armor of God. Pick up the weapons, the shield of faith, and the shoes of truth, and the sword, which is the word of God. And most of all, Paul wrote, pray. That's God's armor. Old Elisha says, pick up the weapon. Elisha puts his hand on the young king's hand. I'm transferring. Power into your hands. I'm giving you God's power. So open the window and shoot. Holy oh, Elijah, full of God's spirit, when he shoots and that's it. That's it. God has promised you deliverance. And he's all excited. The promises of God are true. Something you can count on. God has promised you deliverance and victory. So now shoot those arrows. Come on, let's go. The arrows of God's deliverance. And the young king shoots one, two, three, and he drops the weapon. Old Elisha is angry. Is that it? That all you got? Three arrows. Oh, what a waste, he said. What a horrible waste. Why is Elisha angry? Because this young king suffers from a lack of enthusiasm. He's ignored God, therefore he's unexperienced in the way God works. He doesn't believe. My friends, God promises that I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. That's the first arrow out the window. That's the promise and that's the guarantee. Then God puts his hands on our hands and transfers power over to us. The power to do the work of his kingdom. But now he expects us to use our hands to pull back the bow and aim the arrows. And an excited enthusiasm to let those arrows fly over and over and over again until the kingdom of heaven wins hands down. You may say to me, I've shot all my arrows. Then go outside and pick them up and shoot them again. Prove to God that you have enthusiasm for God's work. The promise is made, the power is transferred, but God's work suffers from a lack of enthusiasm. Like the young king who shot three arrows and quit. My friends, we know God. We have experiences, His ability to help. Hasn't He just answered some of our most urgent prayers? He's helped our loved ones. We know his word is good. So let's be enthusiastic about his work. Let's shoot all the arrows. Do you know the most enthusiastic person that ever lived? Jesus. He went into the temple in Jerusalem. He called it his father's house. They were buying and selling and making money and cheating people left and right. And his disciples watched in total amazement as he deliberately made a whip out of some cords. And he drove out all the oxen and the sheep out of that temple. And they were stunned when he came to tables full of money and pushed them over and turned them upside down. He drove out hundreds of sheep and threw on the ground thousands of dollars. He was driven by a great intensity and most of all what made him angry was the love of money and the noise and the confusion in God's house. He drove them out with such an intensity that the disciples stood with their mouth open watching in amazement. And finally they said, that's what that verse means that we read so many times back in the book of Psalms. Now we know what it means because it says back there in the psalm, the zeal of thine house hath eaten me up. He's eaten me up. Jesus was enthusiastic about his father's work. And no matter how bad it was or how difficult it was, Jesus said to his father, I delight to do thy will. Jesus was the most enthusiastic person that ever lived. And his zeal for God ate him up. May it ever be with us. Let the zeal of God's house eat eat us up. Let it be like a boiling pot. Let there be no lack of enthusiasm among us. My friends, you can trust God. He has promised to bless his work. He has shared his power with us. So let's shoot every arrow in our quiver. Let's serve him with a great enthusiasm. May God bless you as you work for him and shoot all your arrows. Shall we pray? Dear Heavenly Father, thank you Or the old prophet tried to tell the young man Tried to get through to him. And here was his moment. Here was his opportunity. And he squandered it. Lord, we don't want to squander any opportunities. But with enthusiasm, we serve you. We're happy to do it. So bless us as we do, Lord. Give us your strength and your power to do the will of God. Give us a delight in accomplishing it we ask. Let us be like Jesus who the zeal of his house has eaten him up. Make us what we ought to be, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. In closing, i like you to turn in your hymn book. If you will. Page number 473. That's bringing in the sheaves, not the cheese. 473. Standing as we sing, bringing in the sheaves. 473,
1: bringing in the seed. Sowing in the morning, sowing seeds of kindness, sowing in the new night, and the dew, Waiting for the harvest and the time of reaping, you shall come rejoicing. Bringing in the sheaves, bringing in the sheaves, bringing in the sheaves, we shall come rejoicing. Bringing in the sheaves, bringing in the sheaves, bringing in the sheaves, we shall come rejoicing. Bringing in the sheaves, sowing in the sunshine, flowing in the shadows, fearing neither cloud nor. The chilling breeze. By and by, the harvest and the labor ended. We shall come rejoicing, bringing in the sheaves, bringing in the sheaves, bringing in the sheaves. We shall come rejoicing, bringing in the sheaves, bringing in the sheaves, bringing in the the sheaves. We shall come rejoicing. Bringing in the sheaves Go there never weeping towing for the master Though the loss of state Our spirit often grieves When our weeping's over He will bid us welcome He shall come rejoicing bringing in the sheaves bringing in the sheaves bringing in the sheaves We shall come rejoicing, bringing in the sheaves, bringing in the sheaves, bringing in the sheaves. We
0: shall come rejoicing, bringing in the sheaves. Let's bow our heads for a word of prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for your blessing and your hand on us. We look forward to do your will. So help us, Lord, that we might have enthusiasm for the work and be like Jesus was. Bless us, Lord, and show us the way that we can serve you best, and we shall be happy to do it. Fill these people up with your love and kindness and power, Lord, as we go to the work that lies ahead of us. We are grateful in our hearts to you. I ask your blessing on these people because they have been here today. May they know and feel the power of God in their lives, we ask in Jesus' name, amen.